We all owe them, but very few of us know them. They are the men and women of our military and first responder communities. And these are their stories. American Warrior Radio is on the air. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to American Warrior Radio with your host, Ben Bueller-Garcia. We're coming to you from the Silencer Central Studios, where they make silence simple. Don't forget, while supplies last, they're having a buy one, get one free special. Go to silencercentral.com to find out if owning a silencer is legal in your state. Then work with their experts to begin the process at silencercentral.com. As civilians, we decide when and where to send our military members to war. We must also, therefore, bear the responsibility for caring for them and their families, especially in those worst-case scenarios. For a while now, I've been advocating for an organization that does just that, providing Special Forces soldiers and their families with emergency, immediate, and ongoing support, and they do it very well. The Green Brave Foundation has the highest rankings from all the major nonprofit rating agencies. Joining us today to provide an update on their programs is their Director of Programs and Services, Anna Richardson. Welcome to American Warrior Radio. Thank you so much. I'm very grateful and honored to be here. Now, Anna, the, this mission of the Green Beret Foundation is personal for you. You're both an Army veteran and a Green Beret spouse. Well, that is correct. So I do tell people I am personally and professionally invested in the success of our programs and services. And I was, in fact, I served as a 68 X-ray, which is mental health professional, and then also as um, a drug and alcohol counselor when I was active duty and then was married to my husband. He lived in for 20 years, just retired on October 1, and 14 of those years as a Green Beret. And how many years did you serve, Anna? Just a short four-year contract. Okay. Well, so you definitely, you know the insides and the outs. That's a a special skill set that you bring to the team, I'm guessing. What, other than that obvious recognition of of the challenges and the burdens of the sacrifices, what motivated you from, from being a human resource analysis person to the director of programs and services of the Green Beret Foundation. So it was actually one of those fun uh, transition opportunities that the military gave us when uh, my husband was transitioning from fifth group to SOCMET, which is down in McDill in Tampa. And so I had to step away from my position in human resources. And I had been volunteering for the Green Beret Foundation as part of the Steel Mag Sisterhood, which is one of our family programs since 2017, and this was in 2021, that I knew I needed to make that transition. And from my volunteer work, I had the opportunity to work very closely with the staff at Green Beret Foundation and see just how much of an impact they were having on the community that I was a part of. So I had reached out to some of their staff members and kind of inquired, how did you get where you are today? What path did you guys take so that I could begin to consider that path myself because I obviously, again, was very personally invested in the success of our community um, and just wanted to see how I could have more meeting with my occupation. And fortunately for me, they were actually hiring not too long later, so I was able to apply and secure the position um, that I've been in for about three years now. Now, it's interesting you use the word community because that's something I've noticed Maybe you don't know these numbers, Anna, but at any given time, there's no more than 2,500, honest-to-goodness, real-life Navy SEALs wandering around the globe. Air Force pararescue, infinitely smaller. I mean, they may have, what, three, 400 PJs at any given time. 
Any idea what the numbers of Green Berets are? So we have just over around 7,600 currently serving Green Berets that are at any time deployed to over 70 countries. Okay. Despite that, despite it's a larger uh, among the special operators, there really is a deep and abiding sense of community. Not just, and we'll talk more about this, not just with the operators themselves, but with their families. Absolutely. I would say 100%. You are completely correct, especially when it comes to families. You know, the Green Berets, they have their missions. They execute them as a team. And there is no greater and more close connection than the individuals who are on your team because that is a very small unit that deploys, engages in training these in these austere circumstances where you only have those individuals to rely on. And then back home, those team members, they have their families. And then we kind of operate with one another in our spouse's absence. So it's a very tight-knit community where you really have to rely on one another. There is no choice. You know, and in fishing around the website, greenbraefoundation.org, I, I found some interesting data that I, I guess kind of surprised me a little bit. Your average Green Beret is college educated. They're married with two children. Most people wouldn't think about that when you think about the, you know, the secret squirrel guy, you know, jumping out of airplanes, riding horses in Afghanistan. You don't necessarily think of them as family men. It's also one of my favorite things to talk about when I speak about Green Berets is some folks tend to have a misconception. We use the term force multiplier. Uh And to really understand what that means is that, again, you have this small team that their job, they're not trained killers, if you will. They are trained force multipliers. They go in, they work with partner forces in these foreign countries, and then they get, let's say, their 12-man team to be able to execute something that thousands might otherwise be required because they utilize the partner forces. They're amazing instructors. And as you mentioned, many of them, if not the majority, have families at home. And this is a path that they've, a lot of them have elected even after they've already been serving outside of the special forces. They have to test into and earn that Green Beret. So many of them do have a lot of time in service, and during that time, they secure their degrees, and they've created families, and then they decide that they want to take on that next challenge for the greater good of America and its patriots. Now, you, what you say makes a lot of sense now, because you've got to be in a while before you can even test for and achieve the training. So it's not like, there, you know, kids are coming right out of boot camp. There's two paths. So there is the 18, everybody who is a Green Beret, Unless you are pre-9-11, they have some of their uh, specialty, military occupational specialties, but 18 series. So you have 18X-Bray or 18X. Those are for our service members who actually do sign into their contract to go through basic training and then go right into special forces selection. So they have the opportunity to go right through that path. Actually, my husband, his team that he was the first team sergeant for predominantly had 18 x-rays. So it was a combination of seasoned service members who had transitioned and earned their Green Beret, and then some who had signed their contract to start out as an 18 x-ray, which is pretty impressive and goes to show the extent to which they're able to work with one another, impart education, skills, 
and then be this source to be reckoned with. I want to go back real quick to something you said because it struck me. There's a, a video on your website that sort of describes the mission, about a six-minute piece. You know, so often, like you said, people think about special forces as just being out there to, to break things. But in the video, it, it talks about how, you know, they could be educators one day and fighting the next. You know, they could be mm-hmm. building communities one day and then fighting the next. And that's I think that's something that's very intriguing and special about this unit in particular. Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about Green Berets and the Green Beret Foundation. Very often, these special operations soldiers truly are the tip of the spear, and at any given time, they're doing things in places that we don't even know about, they can't talk about. But because of that, they also sustain one of the highest casualty rates in the entire special operations community. And we come back, we're going to talk more with Anna about those programs. Anna, just real quick background, though. The group was founded in 2009 by Aaron Anderson, who he himself was a Green Beret that was wounded in battle. And you've grown exponentially. I think you said up to this point you've provided support to more than 13,000 families. Yes, we are probably at over 14,000 at this time. I know just so far this year, we have fulfilled over 1,400 requests for support, and we're not even done with 2023. So the numbers are always growing, and that includes how many cents on every dollar raised is going back into our community. As of 2022, we have 86 cents of every dollar invested into our programs and services. So that's directly into our community. Outstanding. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your host, Ben Bula Garcia, here on American Warrior Radio. We're speaking with Anna Richardson, the Director of Program and Services for the Green Beret Foundation. We'll be right back. Welcome back to American Warrior Radio, ladies and gentlemen. This is your host, Ben Buehler-Garcia. We're talking about the Green Beret Foundation, an organization that I've supported for a number of years now with Anna Richardson. She's the Director of Programs and Services. Anna, we're talking about you're up to like 14,000 families so far since the inception of the organization in 2009. Can you put a value on that, a price tag on that? Yes. So I know at least for 2022, And if anybody is interested in looking at our financials, they're included on our website. But in 2022, we invested $3,113,424 into our programs and services, and that benefited just below 4,000 Special Forces families. And that's broken across our five different programs. That number wasn't very precise, Anna. Do you want to try again? (laughs) <laughs> if you know if you know anything about me, I do a lot of the reporting out when we get restricted funds or donations and somebody wants a report on how those funds are utilized. That's my area of specialty, and I will give you down to the penny because I think it is that important to have proper accounting and to be able to really show people this is what your money is going toward, even if it's a dollar. Every dollar, as they say, every dollar matters, and therefore I think we should report on every dollar. And I, I, I can't agree with you, Warren. I was busting your chops a little bit because of my background is in the nonprofit world. I mean, let's be honest. There are a lot of, um, let's just say, less than reputable organizations out there who are purporting to be helping veterans and, and the military. And, and to me, a, just a huge sign about your reputation is the fact that, yes, anybody in the world, if they can get on the Internet, they can go and they can pull up your financials. 
I don't know how unusual that is, but I think it's it, it's certainly special. Now, I do have kind of in that vein, one of my favorite shows we ever did was with a fellow who makes it his job to hunt down and out fake Navy SEALs and stolen valor types. With your programs, as I understand it, for the like the casualty support, those referrals are coming directly to your organization from SOCOM, so there's not really a, a lot of doubt about someone's bona fides. But what about your other programs? What do you do to make sure that the funds are being spent with people who are the genuine article? We have a requirement on our request for support. We have a couple different links where people can request support. And then, of course, we receive the phone calls and emails. What we do is require documentation. So somebody has to provide either the DD-214, so if you are discharged, whether you're separated from service, medically retired, traditionally retired, then you would have that DD-214. Or there's the enlisted record brief, the officer record brief, and now the soldier template profile. We also accept the DD-1300 so that if we do have a casualty, a killed in action, of course, they're not going to be issued a DD-214. Their surviving family receives the DD-1300. So we have a set of documents that we will accept in order to confirm proof of 18 series service. And like I mentioned in the very beginning, we do provide support to pre-9-11. So we have a very good understanding of what a pre-9-11 DD-214 would reflect for somebody prior to 18 series being in effect. But definitely that documentation, and we can always help people. The National Archives is a great resource if somebody doesn't have access to the record that they need, but it's something that we do require before we provide any financial support. Yeah, that's a very interesting point. It never crossed my mind, but you, we still have individuals that earn the Green Beret prior to your organization even being established, and your programs help them as well. Correct. Uh, We started in 2021. We launched the Pineland Initiative, And that was in recognition of our ability to be able to provide support to pre-9-11 Green Berets and their family members. And part of that is really focusing on the VA claim support, which was not really something that people were jumping through hoops to be able to provide these wonderful servicemen and women. Also to cover down on their caregivers, because these caregivers have been at it for decades without proper support. So opening up our programs and services to pre-9-11 Green Berets and their family members allows us to get in there and really, as we say, peel back the onion and look at what have you been dealing with with for decades? Have you even been properly rated? And then are you receiving things such as aid and attendance? We have uh, individuals who are homebound. And that's where our veteran service officers, the VSOs, can really jump in there and kind of tease out, do you even have the right benefit? And then are you actually receiving the things that you're entitled to from both the Green Beret and their family members? It's kind of an aside, but you, you took me in a random direction here. on a, a local fellow here who was a, a Green Beret medic in Vietnam, and then he went on. Actually, he was a Surgeon General for a while there, but then he was also a medic with the local SWAT team and the doctor at the university. And he was traveling to a football game, and he gets to an intersection. There's some guy in the intersection out there waving a gun around. So he he draws his service, you know, he tries to talk him down, draws his service weapon. Unfortunately, he had to to shoot him. He shoots him to to disable the threat that immediately holds his weapon and runs over there and starts treating him as a doctor. Mm -hmm. And it kind of makes me think of that education to the fighting just the very next day. What a a great skill set. So I want to talk about your programs, and and they're, they're varied. 
But let's let's start with what I at least I see the core mission, or at least where the organization first cut its chops, and that's that's casualty support. Walk us through the process of the need, and then what you make available for these families if someone, uh, God forbid, does become a casualty. Absolutely. So just as you mentioned, uh, we get our request for casualty support, which is for active duty personnel through the SOCOM Warrior Care Program, also known as the Care Coalition. And what happens is when somebody is finds themselves on the other end of a very big disaster and they're in need of that casualty support, SOCOM is alerted. And then what they do is they send us what's called a request for benevolent support. And it details the who, what, when, where, and how much, really. And that's where we're able to jump into that. So if somebody has sustained an injury, they get medevaced out, and maybe they're at BAMC in San Antonio, then what we can do is we have a $2,500 check that goes out to that Green Beret or their caregiver spouse, and then also a Go rucksack that's filled with essentials because it is a traumatic experience. Oftentimes, our uh, Green Berets, they're getting their clothing cut off their body. And if anybody's been long-term stay in a hospital facility, nobody's comfortable in the gowns. Nobody's comfortable when you're hooked up to things. Oftentimes, it's very cold. So we provide zip-ups, the very coveted whoopee blanket, um, coffee, tea from some of our contributing partners who are also Green Beret-owned businesses. And then the $2,500 is basically to say, we've got you. We know you're going to incur costs that are not covered by DOD. DOD does a fabulous job jumping and covering things such as lodging, airfare for um, covered individuals. But even thinking, let's say that spouse rushes out of the home, she might not grab everything that she needs. Or if they have animals at home, you can use part of those funds to cover down on kenneling. Many of our families have dogs, mm-hmm. and you can't just throw a dog in the home without a caregiver. So covering down on kenneling, covering down on those meals and incidentals, and then extended lodging or airfare for other families or for child care to come in and care for your children if the spouse chooses to go on her own. And uh, just so many... Yeah, hold, hold that thought. We do have to take a commercial break here, but I want to follow up on this more when we come back and talk a little bit about Gold Star Families. Ladies and gentlemen, your host, Ben Garcia. We'll be right back. Welcome back to American Warrior Radio, ladies and gentlemen. This is your host, Ben Bueller-Garcia. We're talking about the Green Beret Foundation with Anna Richardson, the Director of Programs and Services. Hey, don't forget, we're broadcasting from the Silencer Central Studios. At Silencer Central, their experts make the buying process simple. They help you select the right suppressor for your weapon, handle the paperwork, and then deliver it right to your front door when you're approved. Visit silencercentral.com to find out if buying and owning a silencer is legal in your state. Anna we were talking about the um, casualty support, and I mean, I'm sure it's like asking a parent who their favorite child is. That you know, no one of your programs is more important than the other because it all matters. Even now, especially when I want to talk about the transition services. But how quickly can this turn around? I mean, once the Green Beret is injured, 
How quickly is SOCOM contacting you, and then how quick are you getting those funds and that, that very cool backpack out to them? Sometimes we find out first. And that's where, honestly, our steel mag, so the family program, really comes into play because we have spouses with eyes and ears at every installation and also Green Berets at all those places. So sometimes we find out first and then we reach out to SOCOM, but it's generally very quick, if not within 24 hours, very soon after, if they're trying to figure out logistics, especially if somebody's going to be moved from one location to another. But as soon as we get the request, the check goes out overnight that day along with the ruck. And if we have one of our veteran service officers near the installation, if they're at a military hospital, then one of our VSOs, again, the veteran service officers, will hand deliver that ruck sack so that they can have one of our members of the team actually bring it to them. Otherwise, we will overnight it so that they have funds in hand and the ruck sack so that it can begin utilizing some of those comfort products. And, you know, again, that comes back and speaks to the close-knit nature of the community. We've, we've had Jason McCarthy on the show, the, the founder of GORUCK, and just what a, you know, former Greenbury, what a special dude he is. Unfortunately, just recently, we saw an example of how this is a dangerous, dangerous business, even when no one's shooting at you. And I'm referring to the refueling accident that just recently happened to the 160th SOAR. What about, in the worst-case scenario, what kind of programs or what kind of support do you provide for the Gold Star families? So for our Gold Star and surviving families, what we say is support begins at the moment of tragedy. So as soon as we are alerted to that, and it's frequently by somebody in our community that reaches out to a staff member directly to let us know, hey, are you tracking? And then as soon as we get that notification, we hit the ground running. And in those cases, it's active duty, so our first stop is to alert SOCOM, this is what we're tracking. Are you tracking? And to let them know we're standing by. And then we start going through the process. For our active duty individuals who are killed in action, so our Gold Star families, we have to let the process with SOCOM work. Anytime it's active duty, they have protocol. And then that family is assigned a casualty assistance officer. We will work with the casualty assistance officer because the casualty assistance officer or the CAO is the main point of contact. So that family doesn't have then 50 people saying, we're here to help you, we're here to help you, and they have to tell their story multiple times. They work with their CAO, and then the CAO works with all the organizations. So that's when we'll connect with them and find out what the needs are, whether that's funeral expenses, understanding benefits is a huge one, when somebody's killed in action, you have the death gratuity. There's usually the soldier group life insurance. But all of those things are very heavy and generally not at the forefront when you are first grieving and also grieving for the long term. So that's where we come in. Really big on the advocacy piece to make sure that people are getting the support they're entitled to, like that casualty assistance officer. And then covering down because the VA provides financial support to a certain limit depending on the cause and manner of death. And then that's where we can come in and really assess and take into consideration dynamics that maybe other entities don't. How many children are there? There might be life insurance, but how many kiddos are we dealing with? And in what point in life are they? Are they all getting ready to go to college? That's a different, um, a different set of circumstances. And then we know that other organizations are in place for the educational needs of our Gold Star kids. So it's really just assessing what their needs are and then providing the support 
in digestible amount and making sure that we're never a hindrance but always a help. I know we have a lot of veterans and active duty that listen to the show. That's kind of the whole point, but then also a lot of civilians who are connected with that community. What is the best touch point if something happens is it just to go to your website and start there, or what, what do you recommend? The best route is to go to our website, greenberryfoundation.org, and there is a request for support link. And basically that form, very easy to fill out, can be filled out by anybody. A lot of times we have spouses who request support on behalf of their Green Beret. So basically you fill it out with the normal contact information. That's where they would also upload the documentation for proof of service. And then just a quick info about what they're seeking support for. One of my all-time phrases that I tell people is you do not have to know exactly what you need. That's our job. Even if you just say, help me, perfect, that opens the door. Our job is to provide the customer service. I know the questions that you, quote, unquote, should be asking, even if you don't. And that goes back to that onion peeling. You might say you're seeking support for one thing, but I also noticed that you mentioned that you're married and that you have children. So let's talk about that because there's probably other elements at play that we can support you with. I'd like to transition a little bit, Donna, now when there, someone gets hurt and, and there's a, a tragic event like that, a traumatic event. I mean, sometimes that's a lifetime of recovery and commitment. I, I'm not even talking about the, the mental, which is obviously a huge part of it as well, but just the physical. You, through your health and wellness support, Again, if people go to greenbraefoundation.org, you list just some of the things you do. A lot of stuff I never even heard of, Anna, but it's helpful, like hyperbaric chambers and some of this other stuff that I don't understand. Absolutely. There are numerous resources for treatment. Some of the most frequently utilized that we're seeing now are those that are medication-free. So on the website, you might see something called the Alpha Stim. And if you've never heard of it before, it's a fantastic device that is medication-free and can treat treatment-resistant anxiety, depression, insomnia, and chronic pain. So, And it's frequently utilized within the Green Beret community. It used to be covered by insurance, but it's no longer covered by insurance. So that's where we come into play because it has proven its worth. It's FDA-approved. And the Green Berets are being able to utilize it as well devices, but then they have to leave it behind. And so then you have to be consistent with your treatment efforts. So by us securing these devices for them, it allows them to be consistent with their treatment and achieve longer lasting results. And a lot of times without the use of medication or substances, which is a big win for our community. On a- just like I opened the show, I, I think we all bear the responsibility for taking care of these families. And as a civilian, it just makes me grip my teeth and, and want to pull out my hair to think that someone who had signed an oath to, to serve and got hurt, that there are any gaps, any gaps whatsoever in coverage through the VA. But that's not the, the reality of the world that we live in. And, and your health and wellness support programs are, are designed to help fill those gaps. Correct. Sometimes it's a matter of there is a treatment resource such as, let's say, inpatient behavioral health. But for some programs, if you do not have the presence of an alcohol or drug abuse issue, then the inpatient stay is not covered. So there are these minute differences 
for our Green Berets who have elected to reside in foreign countries after their service because they're continuing their work as contractors or on those military installations. There's the foreign medical program, but then there are these little little catches, little loopholes sure. that if they were serving in the U.S., they could walk into a clinic, but because they're in a foreign country, they cannot, and then they're not covered. Little changes that present the issue. Anna, Ben gets a dumb question every show, and we come back, I'm going to present you with my dumb question of the show, and it has to do with the steel mags. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your host, Ben Villa-Garcia, here on American Warrior Radio. We're talking with Anna Richardson of the Green Beret Foundation. You can learn more. Visit greenberetfoundation.org. Don't forget, over 500 podcasts at AmericanWarriorRadio.com. Please listen and share these important stories. We'll be right back. Welcome back to American Warrior Radio, ladies and gentlemen. This is Ben Bueller-Garcia. We're talking with Anna Richardson. She is the Director of Programs and Services for the Green Beret Foundation. You can learn more at greenberetfoundation.com. Anna, what I did there in the business, we call that a tease. So my dumb question, you were the, the founding member of the Steel Mags chapter at Fort Campbell. And Steel Mags, does that refer to magnolias or steel magazines or none of the above? So it's kind of like a combination. So okay. you have the hardened steel and then the soft effect of a magnolia. So it is steel magnolias, steel mags, but that's the purpose behind it. We are the keepers of the brave. Sustos fortis is our motto, whereas you have Deo Presley Bear for the Green Berets. Ours is keepers of the brave. We are hard, and we can also have the ability to be the soft aspect that is required for all of the facets that we endure as predominantly spouses, but also Green Beret mothers, sisters, and daughters. And this is, you, you've got chapters all over the country. You raise funds and do other support things. And uh, I love the phrase, you, you think of yourselves the quiet professionals behind the quiet professionals. <laughs> if there was a spouse out there who would qualify, there again, she can go to greenberetfoundation.org and there's a process to apply to get involved. Correct. So under the family support drop down on our website, there's a page for Steel Mags, and it kind of gives a, a nice overview of what the program is intended for. One of the big things I always point out is camaraderie and local support. That's where it really begins. As I mentioned, these guys are gone all the time. So you tend to spend more time with the spouses who are behind with you than your spouse himself. So going on there and really seeing that even beyond friendship, there is a steel mag relationship that no matter what your relationship outside of the steel mags is, if somebody is in need, you will drop what you are doing and provide that support to her. And then there are, of course, opportunities to give back to GVS as well, kind of that reciprocal relationship where we want to make sure that we are there for them, they are there for each other. And then any time that there's an opportunity that they wish to do a fundraiser, it's usually the most fun one we have. Now, Anna, given your professional background and your, your previous work in the Army yourself, I'm curious, so often these events, there's the, like I said, there's the physical stuff, there's the stitches and, and surgery stuff, but so much of this has got to involve mental health. Are there examples that you can provide of what 
cases where the Green Brave Foundation has taken the lead? You've become the tip of the spear when it comes to mental health support and challenges? I'm so glad you asked. I actually, uh, just this past week, was able to connect with a medically retired Green Beret who I actually knew in our service life, but uh, he found himself on the edge of considering taking his life, and I was able to work with his former spouse to kind of set up some safety protocols until we could get him into a treatment facility. He was battling the invisible wounds, PTSD, TBI, um, that we know is so very common in our community, and also self-medicating with alcohol. So he was able to engage with a substance abuse program that Green Beret Foundation funded, and he just excelled. He was absolutely phenomenal in the program, and they said that they wanted him to be able to participate in their sober living program, which we were able to support as well for him. And then he let me know here recently that he actually secured a career with their program, helping other veterans just like him navigate the journey to recovery. So it's very true to the Green Beret nature that he was given this gift and he immediately began giving it away to others in need. And that's why we do what we do. It's almost as if you're engaging in interventions daily and usually in an intervention, you don't present somebody with an invoice. We take that and we want them to just say yes. Are you willing to say yes today? They've opened the door. We're going to kick our way through it. And then we're going to get them to that treatment program. We have the same ability. We were able to support a young lady with a history of a lot of trauma and abuse and also recent suicide attempts, helped her get into an inpatient facility where insurance said they did not want to cover her extension, but she was finally making some progress in working to save her own life. So we were able to coordinate efforts and reduce the financial burden for her family so that she could attend that. And her dad, who's a Green Beret, actually went to engage in his own health and wellness program at the same time. But he would not have done that if that bill was lingering over him. I tell you, I'm thinking your husband might want to start calling you the breacher. (laughs) I mean, you're blowing the door off the hinges, uh, kicking these doors in. So just to clarify for the people listening, in order to qualify the, the basic foundational threshold to qualify your programs is they have to be a Green Beret, Army Special. I mean, where's that line? Anybody who is an 18 series qualified individual or if you're pre-9-11, we understand how to interpret those documents. Everybody has a bit of a different military occupational specialty. So 18 series qualified, current or former, and their family members, qualified family members. And then when we do get our individuals, because we do, it happens quite frequently because the name is out there. Anybody who requests support from us, veterans, military, their families, if they don't fall within our mission in terms of the 18 series, it's not a no. It's just a different conversation. And that's where our program partners come into play. We have a number of program partners whose eligibility is service in the military. And so we can still have those conversations and impart the knowledge so that that person doesn't have to go and do the Google search. That's something I love because it speaks to the continuation of the Green Beret ethos, but the amount of collaboration that your foundation conducts out there with other organizations, you know, government agencies and and just private individuals is just amazing. Let's do real quick because we're kind of getting down there at the end. The other thing that really is sort of a a hot button for me, Anna, is the challenge of transition. And I cannot tell you how many people that are former tip of the spear folks 
that I've talked to on this program who really have a real struggle with that loss of mission and loss of tribe when they're trying to transition. And if you, you know, we mentioned Jason McCarthy, the, the founder of Go Ruck, and if you've ever read his book, I mean, there's a shining, I mean, hugely successful now, but he had some bumps in the road. So what are you doing to help uh, with transition support with just a couple minutes left? Absolutely. So our uh, our transition program is called Next Ridgeline because that's what we see it as. This is your next ridgeline that you are working to achieve and succeed in. And sometimes the easiest way to get in there is through the portal of VA claims. And then we go in and do the old onion peeling. Well, now that I've got you here with your VA claims, let's talk about what's your next career aspiration, educational aspiration, where do you desire to reside? And usually you can get a good sense because we can build rapport rather quickly to see if they have a great idea and plan moving forward or if there's somebody that needs a little bit of support in that. And that's where we have the processes in place. We have grants that we can provide to our Green Berets that allow them to engage in vocational education that's not already covered by the GI Bill. We have ambassadors um, and individuals who have committed their time to kind of sitting down and doing that peer-to-peer relationship, which very much includes our veteran service officers. Four of the six are retired Green Berets who have walked that path and successfully made that transition. And then the VA claims process, which can be insanely overwhelming for most individuals, they are the subject matter experts. So we can reduce that anxiety and allow them to focus on the real things that they need to get a hold of. So don't worry about the VA claims. We have a subject matter expert for that. Let's talk about your purpose and identity, because that's something that only the person can do. And we can start having those conversations while they're still active. So you're not doing it after you're out. You still have your support system to lean on and the ability to build it while you're still in. And I'm guessing VA claims are still probably a a lot of your caseload. We have seen a huge huge increase in that because, of course, we're at 20, 20 20-plus years from 9-11. So this is the time of the great transition, and it is a family transition. So that is where we are really attacking the needs of the Green Berets and their families and working on those issues together. If you've got a spouse, She's going to get an invite to the conversation. Outstanding. Now, I tell you, we've got a, a minute left, and I'd be remiss if I didn't bring this up, being a former nonprofit guy. And there's lots of ways people can support if they go to greenburyfoundation.org. Obviously, there's you know direct donations. There's, there's legacy programs as part of your will. I mean, heck, you can even donate a vehicle. And there's lots of other fundraising ways to go. And what I, one of the things I love about that is, Again, coming back to the collaboration, a lot of cool stuff. I mean, I can support you by buying tea or multi-tools or, I mean, who couldn't use a good hatchet? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, all that helps the Green Beret Foundation. So, Anna, thank you so much for spending time with us today. And, again, folks, visit greenberetfoundation.org. And thank you and all your comrades for what you're doing, Anna. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate your time. There you go, folks. Again, please listen to these stories and share them with folks who might want to hear them support these organizations like the Green Beret Foundation. Now is the time to do it. Until next time, all policies and procedures remain in place. Take care. You've been listening to American Warrior Radio. Archived episodes may be found at AmericanWarriorRadio.com or your favorite podcast platform.